the Everyman Podcast. There can be only one Highlander. There can be only one. Big dog, Daryl Campbell, my brother. How are you? What up? Oh, blessed and highly favored, man. Slaying highly dragons. favored. Slaying dragons every day in the land, man. You know? I'll tell you what. That's what we do. I'll tell you what. If there's ever a podcast where I'm feeling both blessed and highly favored, it is this one here. Uh, It's a beautiful day. We're together. We're here (laughs) with the everyman and the everywoman. And today we have a guest that I can't... It's crazy to me to have this conversation with this guy and have such a great time. Um, Jason Bittner, legendary drummer... A guy that was super influential to me growing up, uh, inspired many, many drummers my age and younger and older all around. Um, played with a band called Shadows Falls in the early, in the early 2000s, um, Shadows Fall, and um, you know now he's with Overkill, and Shadows Falls getting back together, playing a huge reunion show in December uh, up at the Palladium up there, uh, 12, 18, 21, tickets are still available now, he's a Twitch streamer, he's Grammy nominated, uh, he's he's a modern drummer, Reader's Poll winner, uh, two years best metal drummer in a row, um, and again, I get into it in detail, but this is a guy who, if, if I could go back, uh, you know, 15, 16 year old Justin, and say, hey bro, listen, this guy that you're like obsessed with right now uh and stealing all his style and his (laughs) way of playing um you know someday he's going to be you're going to be having a podcast with i wouldn't even know what a podcast was at 16 but you're going to have a you're going to have an awesome interview with this guy and and he's going to be super cool and just a wealth of information and knowledge and and be super generous um it would have been hard for me to believe but here we are here we are, man. Here we are, and I think uh, this is this is a it's, a it's a high energy lot lot going on here. So we'll just jump right into it. Uh, if you're just checking us out for the first time, welcome to the Cosmic Canoe. Welcome to the Everyman Podcast, and we, and we hope you enjoy this and maybe take a chance check this out on YouTube. If you're just listening to the audio version, check out some of our other interviews with a lot of the best drummers in the world. And uh, that's that's what we do here at the Everyman Podcast is we have good times and we connect good people. So uh, with that being said, let's get it, brother. Go. Joining us today on the Everyman Podcast is a legendary metal drummer and someone who has had an enormous, ridiculous influence on me as a musician. Uh, he was once voted the number one metal drummer in the world by the Modern Drummer Readers Poll. He's a Twitch streamer. He's a clinician. He's a private instructor. He's played with some of the biggest acts in metal all over the world. Huge audiences. Drummer for Overkill and Shadows Fall, the Grammy-nominated Jason Bittner. Jason, welcome to the Everyman Podcast, man. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, well, it's an honor to be here. Thank you very much, dude. This nice. is this is wild because I'll tell you what. We got connected through Carrie Allen, and Carrie is uh, shout out to Carrie Allen. He's he's quickly in my becoming my top three favorite Canadians, and uh, you know Carrie's that's a good guy. he's the man. Um, and you know, Carrie introduced us to Kev Muller from Alluvial, and then which led us to a great conversation with Mike Leon from uh, Soulfly, incredible bassist. And uh, we were having a conversation, and he's like, "Hey, you know, would you would you be interested in talking to Jason Bittner?" And I was like, "I'm sorry, what?" And he's like, "Why you you familiar?" I'm like, "Well, of course I'm familiar." Now I'm 31 years old. Okay, when I was in high school, 
you know, my, all I ever wanted to be when I was a kid was a drummer. And my father is a musician, was a drummer, and I got my first drum kit when I was five, and my whole life was was primed towards being a drummer. And in 2005, I've got, you know, this DVD from Modern Drummer. Now, I had been a Modern Drummer subscriber, reader forever. And for those just listening to the audio version, I'm holding up a DVD that's literally 16 years old that is just, it's just to show you how crazy this is. And... I got this DVD, and I didn't even really know who Shadows Fall was. I didn't know who you were. Um, I was a huge fan of Slipknot, and I was just starting to figure out double bass. And I'm reading Modern Drummer, and I'm seeing this guy who wins number one metal drummer in the Reader's Poll. And I'm like, what is this? You know. So I ordered this DVD back when you had to like... Ooh. What is this hack that is not... <laughs> <laughs> this was like when you had to cut out the thing, you know, you mail it in. I got this in the mail, and this DVD. I've watched this. I used to say, I used to say the same thing thousands every, of times. Every year that I never saw Charlie Benante. Why is Charlie Benante not in here? He's he's you know, and we'll, we're, I actually want to talk about him with you because um, that's that he's uh, another legend. But anyway, this is the longest winded interview or intro, <laughs> interview, longest winded introduction I've ever done because uh, truly, you are like. For me, is like if I could go back to like sixteen-year-old drummer Justin and be like, "Hey, dude, Jason Bittner is going to be on your podcast." It's like, whoa, that's you know, you were you were like one of the first, in, and especially in that generation, you were just a huge like tornado of excitement and energy in the metal world, and um, it's it's an honor to have you. There were but few of us in that period. There there was a Thank few, but you. the cool thing is, and Daryl, I was explaining this to to Daryl now, Daryl. Former NFL player, uh, producer at NFL Films. Uh, you know he's he's an elite guy, and Daryl has come to really. I don't want to say relate. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the 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 thing about being a drummer, getting great at being a drummer, and and like this because it's a it's an athletic thing. And Mike Mangini comes to mind, um, a great friend of the show, and and we've spent a lot of time around him. When you watch a guy like that play. Like there's a that's an athletic performance, and it's like watching you play, and you know there was not a lot of like uh, attention to how do you get good like this in a for people like me that like we're taking lessons and we're a nerd or whatever a, a music nerd, and then you just showed up on this modern drummer DVD, <laughs> right? You just showed up on this modern drummer DVD, and you're like, yo, look, look, I'm covered in tattoos and I shred. And uh, by the way, I can explain everything that I'm doing and teach it to you. And it was like, what? Like, <laughs> how? You know, it's like, it's, it was, it was crazy. So, you know, I asked this to everybody, what's up? What are you doing? There's, you know, just by what you just said brings up a lot of thoughts in my head because I can go a bunch of different ways with how I want to respond. But I'm, I'm going to tell you the, the, the long and the short of it. It's probably going to be long-winded, like you said. But there's a lot of things that you just said that correlate to my, like, absolute fucking movie. Okay? The first thing is you just said, oh, if I could go back and tell 16-year-old Justin, hey, Jason, it's going to be on your shit. Same thing, dude. Let me, let me put it in perspective. I wish I could get it exactly where it would probably well, yeah. <laughs> Right above my head, okay, you see a symbol and you see an overkill flag and then there's a picture oh, yeah. of, you see 
a person's arm it's dan spitz's arm it's me with anthrax okay uh on stage in front of the crowd after the second of the first two shows that i ever played in the fucking band with one of my you know one of my all-time favorite bands my my metal drumming heroes band he 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 let me play in his band so if I could go back to 1987 when I was watching Charlie Benante for the first time and go, dude, and and literally like at that point for me the fast guy was was Dave Lombardi, and and this uh, this is not a Dave against Charlie thing because Dave and Charlie are my two favorite thrash drummers of all time, and the only reason why I'm here aside from a lot of fucking hard work is their influence. Uh, like I got 75% of my thrash drumming, 75% is from those guys, and the other 25% is Neil, who's my all-time favorite drummer. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but my point being is that if I could go back, someone went back to 1987 when I was watching Charlie for the first time and going, holy shit, I think he's even faster than Lombardo. And, like, the whole night just going, with my jaw on the floor going, how the fuck am I ever going to fucking be able to do that? Because, like, at that point, I was lucky if I could play fast as a shark and get through it. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, 16, 17 years old, I, well, maybe faster than that. I was I was verging on fight fire with fire, but it was still a struggle. But, like, Charlie and Gabe were just light years beyond that. And the first time I saw him, I was like, oh, my God, thinking I could never do that. So my point is, if I, when someone went back to me in 1987 and said, dude, don't think like that because not only are you going to be able to do that, but that dude right there is going to ask you to be in that fucking band right there. And then let's rewind it. And if my 17 year old self the night before at the Palestine or at the uh, colony Coliseum, when I went to go see Megadeth on the peace cells tour, but I really didn't go to see Megadeth. I went to go see that fucking band right there. I don't need to tell you who that is. Cause you can see the green logo. If someone told me that night that the band Overkill that I couldn't wait to see for the first time, dude, you're going to be hopefully their last drummer ever in the band, <laughs> you know, someday <laughs> later down the road. I would have never believed this in a million years, but it was that, it was those guys' influence, and it was that, that hunger and that drive. And metal was so new and young when we were when back in, in those days, and it was just so different. And it, and it stuck out so much. I really think that the whole scene pushed the musicians in the scene, no matter where you lived, seemed to help each other more and, want, and inspired, more, inspired each other more to want to drive to be as good as those guys and all the big four bands and stuff like that. So it started with, with an infatuation with Rush. I mean, that's, as far as my drumming goes, like, I started playing when I was a kid at Bang on Pots, and I know I'm extremely digressing off this, but it, it all comes back full circle. Uh, when I started on Pots and Pans and I was three, four years old, banging on my grandparents' garbage cans and stuff, I didn't know. I, I, I mean, obviously, I had some sense of rhythm, and I wanted to do this. I, I enjoyed hitting things with sticks. So maybe I was going to become a musician. I didn't come from a musical family. There was nobody who came before me who was playing this, that, or the other thing. I was, I was the first. And aside from my half sister who used to sing and play piano a little bit, like, I mean, she has 
you know, she's a fashion designer now, but like she had some aspirations at first to do that. And she's an excellent singer. But aside from me and her, there's nobody else in my family that there's no musical lineage, let's put it that way. So this was my thing. My dad was a big baseball guy and he was a big sports guy. I was the kid with glasses who was chubby and overweight and sucked at sports. You know, so, so there you go. Um, I'm going to, uh, let me, let me just jump off one point because there's one thing I want to interject because you talked about the conditioning and what I was going to, what I was going to say was it's just like football. You have to do it every day. You have to do it every day. Even if it hurts, you have to do it. You have to push through those barriers. You have to not settle for things and you've got to keep doing it. And when you hit that stage or when it's game day, it's the same mentality. It's the same thing. I'm sure you have your whole routine in the morning before you play the game. Right. And if anybody mess with it or whatnot, it would mess with you here. It could be something stupid, but when we have our routine, that's what we have to do. I get up in the morning, I get off the bus, I go have my, my breakfast, I walk around town, I do whatever. After sound check, there's the ritual. Dinner, nap, call the wife, warm up, hit the stage. But you got to get in that zone. It can't just be like, and then there's those days where something happens and the phone goes off while, while I'm sleeping or something. And my wife is like, oh, the basement's flooded right now. You're like, oh, my God. So then like then that, tra- that trajectory is totally gone. Now you're thinking about at home and then you get on the field or on the stage. And then the next thing you know, you're like, what fucking song am I on? Holy shit. Right. Uh, what part comes next? Cause you're not <laughs> thinking, yep. but, but that's how, when you were saying, how do you get there? Just, we're going to talk about more of it. But what I wanted to say was it was, being relentless for it that's why i knew i knew when i got to a point where i where i wanted to be a a drummer and a professional drummer i put everything else aside for that that the blinders went on and that was it i mean i still did well in school but like i wasn't hanging out with my friends smoking weed and and partying and all that i didn't become a pothead until fucking years later when i became a toy musician that's when i became a daily pothead before it was just like every once in a while because i was so focused and i always thought that no way that's gonna fuck with me you know i'll smoke it at a party or something but like i need to focus i you know i gotta you know work on this piece i gotta get this down i gotta learn this rush song i can't be sidetracked like that now, if I went back and told my 16-year-old self, dude, it would make it so much easier if you just smoke this joint and listen to it a little bit and then just not try to jump on the drum set, but process it a little bit. It might actually help you. <laughs> but anyway. The nuance point, that age provides, you know. being focused and putting everything aside. The girlfriends never, were never first. The, you know, it was all I, relationships. Well, well, you care about your drums more than you care about me. Sorry. Next. You know, and it would it would just be, and the only person who I've never been like that was is is my wife because she's my wife, and there's a reason she's she's more important than my drums are, but she's put a lot aside in her life to let me do my career. She's never never stepped in front of it at any point. She's always been supportive of it. So it took 31 years to find someone like that. But the the point was, I. I, I put everything aside to do this. This is what I wanted to do. This, this was it. And I was supposed to make it, quote unquote, in my head by 21 years old. Because that's when all the guys make it. You make it in your early 20s, right? And then 21 came and still playing in local bands, trying to you know, shuffle along. 
All right, if I don't make it by the time I'm 24, I'm quitting and I'm going to get a real job. 24 rolls along, still playing in the same local bands, finally gotten stigmata, so I finally started playing more regional shows. So I'm like, all right, I'm 25, but at least I'm not playing in New York all the time. We're getting out of the Eastern Seaboard. But the best thing about finally getting out in the Eastern Seaboard in 95 was playing with all the, all the bands with members of Shadows Fall, whose paths we would, we would eventually intertwine a decade later. But it's funny how the seeds get sown. But I thought it was going to be here by then. So by 25, it still didn't happen. 30, it fucking didn't happen. And at 30, I was like, all right, I was working for the state. I had a good job working computers. I'm like, this is what it's going to be. I'm just going to be like, you know, just just put your 30 in, you know, you put your 30 years in, get your pension, see you later. And I was fine with that. I really was. 31 rolled around. Uh, Stigmata was playing their final shows. My mom passed away that year, and she was my best friend. So that, you know, that was just like my world had come down at that point. Uh, my, you know, my parents split up when I was like eight or t- eight years old or so. So it was always me and my mom. Like my dad was always in the picture. I was, you know, weekends and stuff. But it was, you know, for the most part, I was with my mother all the time. And I'm a, I'm an only child. I have my, my dad and my stepmother have two kids, but you know, for, for that set of parents, I'm the only one. So when my mom died, it was a, it was a big deal. So all this combined with my band's coming to an end. My mom just died, just broke up with a girlfriend. Well, actually she kind of used me to move her ass back up here and then she left me. So it was just a, a triple play of just shit in my life. And all of a sudden I get an email from, this guy, Sully, who is handling himself as uh, Shadows Falls tour manager, or Shadows Falls manager or whatever. Now, I knew Shadows Fall because Stigmata hadn't played with them. We actually played their opening, their CD release party for Of One Blood. My band opened for him. <laughs> so, so there you go. Odd. So, Cosmic Canoe. Um, so I get this call. This call I get this email, and um, they're like, hey, you know, Shadows Falls looking for a drummer. And, you know, we just put this record out on Metal Blade. We did one tour with King Diamond and, you know, shit didn't work out with the drummer. And, you know, we're trying to find guys. And, and here's, a, here's a not well-known fact. Um, they had a guy. They had a guy they thought, and that's what he told me. He goes, we think we got a guy, but we're not sure because he might get a different gig. And I was like, all right. That other guy turned out to be Matty Byrne. Matt Byrne almost played in Shadows Fall, but then he got the hate breed call. Wow. So... So Matt went to Hatebreed. Derek Kurzweil was still filling in in Shadows Fall, but he already said he wasn't gonna he wasn't going on tour. He was getting married. He wasn't gonna be that guy. So Sully asked me. He goes, "Well, you know, the guys want to know if you you know just learn a couple songs and come down." And I'm like, "Dude, I said I'm just not right now. Is not a good time for me." I said, "You know, my whole con- my my whole world sort of just collapsed in the last few months, and I just my head is just not there right now." I said, "I don't." I'm not in the mood to go get back in a van and just drive around anymore. I'm kind of done with it. And that's where we left it. And maybe like another month or so later, he hits me up again. He's like, come on, dude. Would it just like, you know, would it kill you just to learn like five songs, just learn the first five songs and come down. And I'm like, 
all right. <laughs> That's literally what it was too. Like, I, I, don't, I really hate to like paint the wrong picture. And I was like, oh my God, I got no dish. And I was like, all right, I guess. What ones? What songs? You got yeah. dragged into it. That's so cool, man. So, so I learned the first five songs off of One Blood. And uh, I, I agreed to go down. I went, I went down to play with them the day after. I, I'm pretty sure. I, I think it was the day after Thanksgiving, 2001. And uh, I was coming home after I was going to go down and jam with them. And then I was going to come back and go to my girlfriend's house. And my girlfriend, my new girlfriend, well, she, she wasn't really my girlfriend at the time. She didn't want to be serious. But uh, <laughs> that's, what, <laughs> that's my wife. My wife became my girlfriend the moment that she saw a tour bus. And she went, you're getting on that? Yeah. Just for the weekend. No, I'll be back on Monday. She's like, make sure you tell any girls that you meet that you have a girlfriend. I'm like. Oh, I, I have a girlfriend. Oh, I didn't know that. It's funny how that works. After, I've been asking her for like two months and she's like, oh, I don't want to put a title on it. Like, yeah. let's not be like, you know, because we've both just gotten out of relationships. And as soon as she saw that bus, she was like, yeah, you got a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> got to hold that down. Precedent to this day. <laughs> so, That's great. So I learned, I learned the songs and I go down and I play with these guys and automatically it's not uncomfortable in any way, shape or form at all. Okay. I know everybody in the room except for John, really. Uh, Cause I never, I never met John before. Like when, even when Stigmata opened for, for Shadows Fall, I met Matt that night. We've been talking, I already knew Brian and I already knew Paul because I had played with, with Brian numerous times with Stigmata and with Crisis when he was in overcast and burning human had played with push button warfare, which was Paul's old band. And the guitar player was Zeus, our producer, which is that's the studio that I went to for my first jam. So this, that the studio is Zeus, the guys in the band who I, like I said, I know everybody except for, for John really. And John was quiet on the first day and John is still quiet 19 years later, but that's because John is just a quiet guy. So, so we go down and Sully's there too. So I meet Sully, the, you know, the tour manager who then proceeds in the next 20 years to go up the tour manager chain, tour manager, Slipknot, tour manager, Slayer. He, last time we were talking to him, uh, no, actually, no, this five, five years ago, he was Dolly Parton's tour manager. All right. Now that's on the bus only with Dolly. Did, uh, now sure that is. That. That is like a next level of next level touring. Like when I, his last gig though, he's is, well, he's still on the retainer is, uh, is blank, but you know, that's, that's wild. And it's like, uh, that reminds me of, uh, once when you're at Nam, my friend wanted to smoke a cigarette. So we went out the smoking door that was like on the side and, uh, all of a sudden, Stevie, Stevie Wonder, Stevie Wonder walks out with his bodyguard and his entourage and like you're in an arena full of like rock stars and like there was some people we all knew and I saw Stevie Wonder and Nam one year too. And it was like, holy shit. Like Stevie Wonder, Dolly Parton, like they're in that same where if you like saw them out in the world, you'd be like, whoa. Like it's like seeing yeah. a space shuttle or something. It, it was that, the one year we saw him, we were walking through, we were coming back into the Hilton and we were going through where Yamaha was. Cause they always display in the outside yeah. areas before you get into the hotel area. And we were walking through and I wasn't paying attention. And my wife just goes, she grabs my arm. I'm like, why? She goes, Stevie wonder. I go, where? 
because she always thinks she sees somebody. Like she's always <laughs> looking for Robert Plant every time we go to Nam, and I keep telling her, "Honey, Robert Plant is not gonna be at Nam. Yeah, he's not yes, gonna he be is. here. I'm convinced of it. There's gonna be a lot of dudes that look like him, right? So, so, so I'm going. Yeah, sure, Stevie Wonder. And I turn. I go. Holy shit, that's Stevie Wonder. I was like literally like like two feet from Stevie Wonder. And it was just him, a couple couple people, a couple security guys with him, but not a whole shitload of people. And it wasn't like yeah, he was see, This was people. like he had probably five, six security guards, his wife, her assistant, somebody carrying his bag. Like it was like well, ten, this, 10 people. He was chill and he was chill too. People were just he was cool. Letting, just letting him go through, blah, 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 blah. Right, no did one's going to go up to Stevie you Wonder. Wanna, you want to know who I saw who, who's the biggest security the biggest security huddle I ever saw around an artist at NAM? Take a guess. Mine honestly was Travis Barker. It was unbelievable when I <laughs> he had like he had a lot of dudes. It was crazy. Like crazy how many no, guys he had. About, I'm not talking about his entourage. I am talking about hired security in Dave, security. I don't know, Dave Mustaine. To walk you around now. No, not even Mustang. Who? Nope. Who? Keep keep going. I'll give you a clue. He's a guitar player. I will hmm. give you that. Hmm. I'll give you another clue. He doesn't like donuts. Oh man. Carrie King? Because I saw because I saw him walking around with a whole reference. Oh no, I missed it. Right over my head. Ingvay. Oh, you know I what? I've heard. Yeah, I don't want to get I into it, but yeah. God, come through the drum I believe area. That. There was like twenty-five fucking security people. I go, like we're eating. I was like, I was with a couple other drummers. We're like, who the fuck is this coming yeah. through? We had seen Gene Simmons earlier. We're like, all right, maybe it's Gene Simmons again. And it's like someone goes, dude, it's fucking Ingve. And I'm like, are you shitting me? <laughs> That's awesome, Daryl. I'll have to send you some Ingve mom steam. It's it's good stuff. Man. He's, he's, he was like Fabio with a guitar. In the 80s. Oh my God. Yeah. So back to the story. So I go down, I learn the first five songs. We play, and we play the cover Live Wire by Motley Crue because they were doing that. Everything is sounds fine. No problems. I still have a disc upstairs somewhere of our first, our first practice because Zeus recorded all of it. They wanted to record my audition. So the way we left it, they're like, you know, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, guys, I really don't, I really don't know if I want to be in a band. You know, I told my whole situation and what was going on. Uh, and, and they had this tour coming up in, in January and February of 2002. And it was going to be in Europe supporting Kitty. Now they had never gone to Europe before. I had gone in Europe a couple times with Stigmata, new, actually five times with Stigmata. Now that I think about it once before with crisis. So I'd been to Europe. I did the whole European touring circuit. I, so I knew, I knew that. It wasn't going to be like it was going to be something new for me, but for them and for a new band, it's it's a must thing to go. If you get a chance to go do Europe, you go do it, especially when, when you're in the infancy of your career. Even though you're going to be playing first, even though you're going to sell maybe one CD a night if you're lucky, you still go because you have to do it. You have to build the brand. So I said, well, instead of like – Instead of saying I'm going to be in the band, let's just let's just see if I can get the time off from work. And what if I just say that I'll commit to doing the tour with you guys, so you guys can still spread the name and still continue to work, you know, work on your demos for your next record. And 
you know, it's a win-win situation. And if I get the time off from work, I'll get paid from work and get a chance to go to Europe for five weeks and have some fun. Sure, why not? So that was the plan. I was just gonna fill in and do the European tour. And then we went down to New Jersey to uh, the syndicate where our, our manager, Dave Ciencio, worked out of. And there was a shitty little dive bar across the street that we went to because we had we were having some meeting with him before we were getting on a plane and flying to Europe. And uh, somewhere between the first and second beer, I just went, ah, fuck it, I'll be in the band. I just, I just made that decision. <laughs> And it wasn't like, and it, was, it wasn't like I, I already, I knew the door was open, but it was like, all right, maybe we should do the tour first and then make a decision. No, impulsive. <laughs> ah, fuck it, I'll be in the band. And then everybody was like, really? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, fuck it. You know, because I'm going to tell I'm you already why. here. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you why. <laughs> I drove home from that practice. That first practice, I drove home from that practice and as I'm driving up the Mass Pike back to Albany, it was dark out and I saw a shooting star go right over my car. Well, not over my car, but in, in the distance, right right in front of my, my line of sight and disappear into the clear, dark night sky. And I said to myself, if that's not your mother telling you that this is your last fucking shot at this and go do it, I don't know what is. And I still, to this day, knock on yeah. wood, that was her telling me to take this shot. And I did. And thank God it paid off. <laughs> but that was it. That was the catalyst for that. It was, it was the, it was when I thought it was done. When I was convinced that, fuck it. I I gave it my best shot. I gave it my best shot. It, it just didn't work out. It's fucking hard to make it in a music business. I mean, regardless of if you're good or not, it's just it's hard to be a combination of good, talented, and and lucky. And I just, I lucked out. So that was, it was the last shot. And it was that, the last bit of determination that was like, all right, let's just, let's get back in the van. Wow. Nice. That's wild, man. Nice. You know, it's, it's, it's funny how, it's funny how these, looking back, it's always easy to kind of follow the thread that connects all the key points in your life. Uh, But when you're in it and you're, facing it head on it's not easy to make those decisions that you know put you out of your comfort zone and it's something we talk about all the time and whether it's with you know nfl players or prospective astronauts or anesthesiologists it's like you've got to you've got to strengthen yourself and prepare yourself physically mentally emotionally spiritually and then also in combination with that preparation is being open to opportunity and being open to new connections, you know, and Daryl and I, we talk about this all the time. Like him and I just happened. We're like, this show is an example of that. Just somehow we got connected in in a random chance. And, um, you never know how like that one step is going to echo out, especially with a creative, uh, endeavor. And then to, you know, like I said, there's, you end up kind of getting into shadows fall haphazardly without, intention i guess you know uh and you're and you're just going into it and then you have this career with them and then you start getting this recognition and i mentioned modern drummer now you know for for everyone who's just listening to this uh at the beginning of the show i held up this modern drummer before you you continue uh i had already been in modern drummer one time in 1995 actually i like in the on the move section 
Oh uh, yeah. While I was in Stigmata, yeah, yeah. So right above your your shoulder there, you've got something framed for Modern Drummer, and and Daryl and I have talked about it before because we had Kenny Arnoff on the show, and I was saying to Daryl how fucking trippy yeah, it was for me to. One day I remember getting a copy of a magazine with Kenny Arnoff on it, and then the next day I feel like that he's you know we're talking to him, and uh, same thing with you, and you were there's. Uh, there's like a certain weight that the modern drummer has to musicians and drummers, especially because I think for a long time, and we've talked about this with a lot of our guests, a lot of our drummer guests, uh, is that drummers weren't considered musicians on the same level as like a guitarist or piano player or, you know, a bassist or whatever. And, um, then that's, that stigma kind of carried over to metal for a long time. And you mentioned Dave Lombardo. Now, Daryl, Dave Lombardo is like, He's like the guy for most people after like 1980 that were interested in drums for like double bass. Like it existed and like, yeah, Tommy Lee did a couple, did some stuff, but like Dave Lombardo showed up and was just like, and everybody's like, what the fuck? Like it, it changed the game. And then guys like Charlie Minante. And then that's kind of grew the Jason Bittner, Mike Portnoy's of, of the world that, as a 15 year old in 2004, 2005, I'm like, Oh yeah, I want to be Mike Portnoy and Jason Bittner and a little bit of Joey Jordison. Like if I can put those three crazy dudes together, I'll be all right. And you end up as this kind of, like I said, you're, you're like a metal person, quote unquote, you know, you got tattoos, you're in a cool band, you're playing heavy ass music. That's fast and technical, but then you also had an educated, background and perspective on music and it was like you don't number one you made for me you made me feel like oh wait a minute like i can be respected as a metal drummer if i work hard and i study and i practice with with good intention like there's there's a possibility for me to have the respect that i want as a musician and two like it's possible to get the recognition uh, and respect of your peers by playing that music, you don't have to be Billy Cobham. You don't have to be, you know, Steve Gadd. Like you can, you can stray from the jazz nest and be respected by your peers. And I was like, okay, so I'm passionate about this and I'm going to pursue that side of it, you know? And, um, I think you probably did that for a lot of dudes my age. Um, what's it like for you as somebody who's you know, you're in overkill. Like you said, it's a band that you grew up like, holy shit. Like that would be like me in, in 20 years ending up somehow f- filling in for Mike Mangini or something. And it's like, now you're kind of that guy who's still active, still a big name in the community, but you're probably touring with bands who are guys like my age that are like, dude, you're like a fucking icon. What's that? What's that like for you to be the, that guy now? And how do you, how do you take that responsibility? Sometimes I get that, but not very often. But I do hear it a lot with my bandmates, like with Blitz and Dee Dee. I hear it, like, you know, when people saying that to them, or I hear people asking me about what's it like playing with them. I'm like, I, you know, here's the thing it's, it's fucking great playing with them. But there's another thing is like, I've also known them for, for two decades. You know, right. I, I get them on the overkill scene, hanging out with those guys from 1993 on. So, you know, we've been friends for a long time. So that's, that's also another great thing. This is, this, this, 
this is still how I think all this stuff in my career has been intertwined because I've met these guys in certain situations. It wasn't my time in 1993 to be a professional drummer. My time was to be watching other bands and even though I thought I was supposed to make it by then, but it wasn't my time yet. But I was still making an impression on these guys that later on remembered it. Like, you know, if you go back and ask my bass player and singer, hey, do you remember Jason playing in one of his, you know, up and coming fledgling bands in the 90s when he, when he had, you know, corpse paint on and Blitz will stand there and laugh his balls off and go, yeah, I fucking, I watched him tear his drums down with fucking makeup burn off his face for like 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is probably the worst part of corpse paint for a young band is, is the loadout with the makeup on. You know what? The, the point was, I just, I was so happy that these guys actually watched my band. I couldn't yeah. believe, you know? And then, you know, so that's why when I, when I first joined Overkill, Blitz would always tell the stories. Like, yeah, he used to come to our show with sticks in his back pocket. That's why I used to call him Sticks all the time. And I go, I used to call him Sticks all the time because you forgot my name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a It's like, hey, what's up, champ? Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's. Well, this is the thing. I don't. To be honest, you want to you want me to be totally honest with you? As I saw as I saw my career do what it's done and all stuff that I aspired to. When I was a kid, I always said I want to do drum clinics. You know, when if I ever get in that position, I want to do drum clinics too because I used to love just going to them and learning yeah. and stuff like that. But you need to be, and I don't mean any, I don't mean any disrespect to self-taught drummers or even there are even guys who out there in clinic and they're not they're not readers. And I'm not like the greatest reader either. But I'm I'm a good reader, and I know a lot with notation and a lot with music, and that's why I went to school, and, and I did that for a reason. So it would be easier to do sessions later on in life. If I knew, if I can listen to something and know the fill and just write it out, it saves me from having to go, rewind, what do you do, rewind, rewind. I can just take the half an hour to chart the song out and go, okay, verse, chorus, here comes the fill, the fill's right there. And I can read it as I'm going along. So it's it was having all those abilities made 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 me want to do the educational aspect of it. And I've been teaching since I was 18 years old. So it's almost, you know, it's been 32 years almost that I've been actually teaching students. Um, but I always thought it would just be an, another asset to the overall playing thing. And that's why I was able to learn other styles of music. Because I would just take modern drummer and I'd go through my 90 minutes of metal practice, and then I'd play for a half an hour, 45 minutes, practicing other stuff, practicing things that weren't Slayer and Morbid Angel and all the other stuff that I was listening to. Just do something that's not metal, so maybe someday you can use this in some kind of musical fashion. So when I did that MD solo, I was just trying to be as musical as possible and kind of, and try to fit as many styles into you know, one solo going back on it. I give that solo a six. I'm there's parts that make me cringe. For it. <laughs> um, but that's, that was the 35 year old me. And that was as best as I could do at that point in my life on that given moment. So, well, I'll tell you what, man, I, like I said, I've had this DVD since it came out and I, I popped it in, uh, and took, took a look at it and, it had been a while since I watched it, but everything just, you know, as it's like that. And there's a couple other, you know, Hudson music, uh, DVDs I had there's over a, my time. That a thing in there, there's a thing in the solo that's just like, been like the albatross that's kind of hung around my neck for 30 years, 30 years. For, <laughs> since the MD. Um, 
And there's a part in the solo where I put the stupid click on. So all I want to do is put the click on to give myself a frame of mind to not play the parts that I was going to play too fast because I wouldn't be able to execute them. First of all, my headphones messed up and it was a short in my phone, so I couldn't hear the click properly in the phone. So it was like shorting out as I'm trying to hear it and play along to 205, which wasn't fun in the first place. And it wasn't supposed to go through the damn PA. See, honestly, all, it goes through the PA. I start playing along and there's a point where I get off for like maybe like five or six bars. I'm off the clip and it's plain as day because I couldn't hear it. I get back on it, but every single thing on YouTube, oh, I can't play to a click. Oh, look at this party sucks, blah, blah. Yeah, I can't play to a click. That's why I've made over 25 albums in my life. Right, right. Exactly. And it's like, that's one of those things, man, where like, right, we're watching it like as somebody who's had shit happen while playing, like you're, your yeah. first song, your beater goes through your head, and the only other one is in the like, and you're fucked. You're like, well, okay, like, at the same time? <laughs> no, but I've done, yeah, I've puked on stage plenty that of times. Oh, well, no, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. Uh, just I've too hot. Before. Not from you know, not from being like you know fucked up. Or no, anything, no, me like, just being excited. Yeah, like those times you like. Dude, all right, I need a minute. This one, next one is no. This next one is nothing. Yeah. Hold on. Draw down. Right, right, right. Yeah, man. But that's that's one of those things where, like, I'm like, ah, whatever. It happens. And I thought the the click coming through was actually cool. But but anyway, I'm watching, I'm watching you, and I think any drummer and Daryl, I'd love to hear your perspective, especially from you know from sport angle. But when you are doing something and you're heavily influenced and i know now especially when i listen to like older dream theater like oh yeah i that's where i got that from and i hadn't watched this dvd in a while and i'm watching it and i'm like that's like why i was wearing the gloves like i got the a head gloves you know i had the the two rides set up the two crat the two hat hats you know like I, I like stole so much stuff. The Octobons, like, but and I put it, it's this amalgamation between like Mike Portnoy and Jason Bittner. And like, I, it's funny to me to go back and watch that and be like, hey, babe, I stole, that's right there. I, I use that all the time. That's my thing right there. I used to use that I all the time. That. That's fine. You know, fine. and it's, <laughs> you know why? Because we all steal. Right. And, and you know, oh, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give you one too. And I, I joke about this with Mike every time I'm with him, me and Portnoy. Um, Every time you hear either one of us go, we just took that from Terry Bozio. That's it. We both stole it from Terry. Two, four, sixes, and eight. Thank you, Mr. Bozio. And I stole it from you. And it's a cycle that someday I will hopefully have a son or daughter that I bequeath that onto. We all give and take, but it's, it's, you know, it's giving respect. It's paying respect to your heroes and the people that influence you. And you can hear it. I, I hear it all over my playing. I oh. just watch. There's a, there's a funny thing is I just watched the Anthrax stream last week and they did their 40th anniversary live stream. And I'm watching it and I'm going. Now now I know that. <laughs> I know that I steal a lot from Charlie and I know that and I always talk about it. I always tell him that. I stole that one thing. And he loves it. So, because he finds it very flattering, which is good. And I'm like, you know, well, you know, I steal from you and Dave. What can I tell you? And Neil is like, yeah, I steal from you. I'm like, I know you do. That's why I steal from you too. So <clears throat> I'm watching him play and I'm going, holy shit. Nah, not that bad. <laughs> I didn't come up with that because 
That's where that bell comes from. I did. There was a lot because you you pick up things subconsciously. I've used, but I forgot where I got them from, and they were playing some of the older songs, and they were playing one of the songs off Stadium Euphoria, uh, "Be and Be All End All." And I'm like, oh, that's where I got that still. And I'm like, shit. And I'm like, I started thinking. Well, it's not that cool anymore because I just copied it. I didn't even change anything in it. Like, yeah. you know, there's a thing like take the pattern, but like maybe put a few notes somewhere else. No, this is uh, you could have cut and paste that film, put it right in my recording. Same thing. <laughs> so cool, man. So cool. You've got to go through that too. I mean, haven't you? Have 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 you ever been in situations where like when, if you we played a game and had anybody who you had looked up to in the NFL who was at the game who maybe complimented you afterwards. And like, you're just like, Holy, wow. He just said that to me. That was pretty cool. <laughs> it's, it's funny. So like, you know, I, I grew up in, uh, I grew, I grew up in the South side of Chicago. So being here in New Jersey and, you know, it's just, it's, it's just a different, different, different place, different, you know, team Philadelphia Eagles versus the Chicago bears. I live and die you know, um, 1985 Bears, that was just my team. Um, but it's it's funny to, like, I, it's, I, I, I relate to your story saying you were like the, the, the short, fat kid with the glasses, you know, and kind of nerdy or whatever. Yeah. I was the short, fat kid, no glasses, but I could run real fast and I was kind of athletic, you know what I mean? And um, I played inside linebacker um, and I looked up to Willie Lanier you know, as, as, as a great inside linebacker, Mike Singletary. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's this whole thing that's happening right here. Like, Brother Jay is now in front of you. We're on this podcast, and you're his hero. Mike Singletary, Willie and were, were my heroes. I get a chance to meet my hero, Mike Singletary. He was my camp counselor before I went to Notre Dame and basically gave me all the ins and outs of how to play linebacker at the, the best level. And Mike Singletary looked up to Willie Lanier. Like, it's just, just like that that chain of events, right? I get to Notre Dame, we lose, like, half of our starting defensive line. And then, like, my coach is like, hey, kid, you got to play D-line. Get my ass thrashed because I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a defensive lineman. You know, I'm, I'm an inside linebacker. But then, same situation, you start looking up toward those, those guys that really did it at a high level. You know the Warren Saps, the you know the Reggie Whites of the world. You know what I mean? Like those types of you know moguls and icons. And you know this whole thing is this whole podcast. Honestly, is just it's just really taking me back because your story, Jason, is is so real, man. Like a lot of shit was happening to you while you were negotiating all the efforts, but all the efforts behind exercising your craft. You always stayed ready. You always stayed present. You know what I mean? From a young age to when you got to that point where girlfriend leaves, mom passes, condolences, and then you're like, you give it all up, and then you get into tech. It's like a spitting image almost of kind of like how was how I was in my professional career. Traveling from team to team in the NFL. Go to Canada. I'm out of Canada, and then I get into tech, IT, product management. You know what I mean? Then, you know, I get another opportunity in different leagues. And right when you say, like, fuck it, like, you know, I'll give it another shot. And then you have, granted, not that NFL going back to the NFL, but you still get a chance to exercise your craft professionally. And 
that paves the way to be in this seat, in this place, the house that Steve Sable built to tell stories. Yeah. At NFL films. Like if you would have like, you guys say this, Hey, if I were to go back and talk to 16 year old me and say, Hey, one day, if, if I ever thought about it, I'd, I'd, I'd have the chance and opportunity to meet multiple people I looked up to and they pour into me and then it would, you know, basically result into a career where I tell stories about all the shit that I would be doing anyway. Yeah. Come on, man. You, you can't go. And like, I really feel that when you say, Hey, when I was driving back home, I see a shooting star and that was my mom saying, Hey, this, this is the one, this is the time because you need inspiration like that to keep you going. And that's just, that's, that's something that a lot of young people I, I see coming, coming through here, interns, you know, seasonals, they just, they don't understand that drive. They don't understand how to stay pe- present right in the moment before like giving up and just going to do something else and be miserable at it. You know what I'm saying? You know, that one last thing is what kicks you into your career right now. And it's real, man. Like it's, I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation because you're not bullshitting anybody right here, Thank you. you know? And that's what I love about it. Like you're not bullshitting. If, if a kid listens to this and like, you know what, if I just stay at it, I keep exercising my craft. I keep being ready, trying to be the best I am right where I'm at. Even if I'm in a tech job and I don't love it and like it, but I still keep my mind open. We talk about this all the time. Staying curious. Mm-hmm. If you stay curious, yep. you always lead with learning. Sky's the limit, man, no matter what it is. So It's hard to always keep learning, but sometimes you have to. Sometimes I've, I've done a lot of reinventing for myself. And it either sometimes it just goes back to visiting stuff that I put away years ago or looking for inspiration in some, in some other way, shape or form. But I, I, I can, <laughs> I've had a lot of times where I felt that things have gotten stale or, you know, the music business is just like sports ups and, ups and downs. Sometimes you're on the highest of highs and sometimes it's the lowest of lows. And when you get up here and then your train starts coming back down again and you have busted your fucking ass for decades to get to here. And then all of a sudden your band starts going like this. And then you're like, wait a minute, we're the women were losing the bus. We got to share it with a bu- another band. Why? We're not making enough money. Women weren't. We're back in a van again. I'm 41 years old in a fucking van. Are you kidding me, dude? And that's where that's where Shadows Fall got back to. That's where we were when we were finally like, oh my god, like I mean, what do we have to do here? Like, and we were putting out, in my opinion, fucking great records. The last two records we we made, I think, are some of, are some of our best music. But we had just gotten to the point in the business where the business had eaten us up because yeah. it was record, tour, record, tour, record, tour, 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 tour. We were never home. And the moment that we took, like, a, wasn't even long. It wasn't even a full year. Maybe, like, eight months away from touring, There we were here, and then there was all these bands that used to be here, but yep. since they didn't have to take eight months off, they were now up here. And now we were opening for them. And then things were going even lower. And then we were co-headlining with bands that I was going, are you kidding me? And then going and seeing people who ascend to great heights, and you go, I can't believe this. This this industry is eating me alive, and it does. And I'm not trying to paint a terrible picture, but I'm just trying to show that over the last two decades, there's been multiple times where I've said to myself, oh, my God, did I make the right decision? Like, <laughs> did I, did I really make the right decision? But that's real, though. Yeah, that's fucking that's real, fucking though. Real. Like, seriously. 
Yeah, and you know, I'm going, oh, I, at this point, I'd be probably making about 85 at the state, and I'd be a 23 by nine. I have all this blah blah, and I and I and then I and then the real Jason somehow comes out and goes, dude, you'd never have any of this shit and any dude. of these memories yeah. that are Facts. right you right Facts. now if you fucking quit and went back to that shitty job. So, dude, if, thank man, God. if somebody told me the most embarrassing thing, and I and Brother, you don't even know this. If you're 20 some years old after four years in the league and you're in the in, in your mom's basement on the shelf for like six months because you know teams just kind of like throw you away, man, right? right. And you're the same situation. You're like, what the fuck am I doing? Right. What the hell am I doing? Like, how do I go from like playing on the number one defense in the NFL to like I'm in my mom's fucking basement, <laughs> you know? And I've had like and and I've, and, I've, and, and and this football season I've had a week I've had a workout with just about half of the teams in the league just trying to find a place to put my hand down in the dirt and do what it is that I feel like God put me on earth to do. Right. You know what I'm saying? And then fast forward to now, the, the same people, you go back home like, ah, oh, DC, what are you doing in your mom's basement? Like, man, I'm just trying to, you know, I'm just, I don't want to give up. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't, I don't want to let this thing go. I, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. Fast forward to now, you know, multi Emmy award winning producer. And you can't like, but that's all grind though. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not a, it's not a, it's all fucking grind. So when I'm looking at your, all your accolades, I'm looking at all those pictures, like that's hard work over there, hard work over there, hard work all over there. Yo, you earn that shit, man. Like, and that's real. That's fucking real, man. Like <laughs> that's real. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's humbling. And, and when I take a look around this room and it's only a 10 by 20 room, it's one stall in a garage, but it's, it's, it's 20, it's 20 plus years of, of hard work touring from Shadows Fall on, but it's another 20 plus before that of honing my craft and being in this room and playing drums and and and, and getting behind that thing every day or absolutely or every, every you know five days out of the week when people are off having fun or doing whatever I was doing that and still do that. I haven't slowed down probably one bit since this pandemic started, which you, is, you said it too. All of that, everything that 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 comprises you as an individual, as a person, always goes back to drumming and yep. always trying to be excellent all the time. Why? So you can fucking give back and teach. And then I'm sitting up here binge watching you on Twitch, basically showing people what it is that you've been doing your whole life, whether they know how to read music or they don't. Yep. You know why? Because that way nobody has any fucking excuses because you can always be your best. There's this is. I learned it in tech. I, I learned it in tech. I learned it in the IT. There's 500 million ways to skin a fucking cat and meet a deliverable. Yep. You just got to figure out which one works for you and then know that you can get the job done. Yep. No excuses. Right. If you're, if you're on Twitch and somebody says, boy, I can't read music and you're like, Oh, you can't read music. Can you do this? Bum, 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 you know what I mean? Can you right. do that? That's the same fucking thing as if I were to, you know, lyrically tell you what that means via music or charting it out. Yep. No excuses. Still teaching. You said you wanted to be a teacher, and now you're fucking doing it. It's fucking yep. sweet. Yep. And you know, it's 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 still a challenge, but it's fun. You know, it's like I I and it, I enjoy it when when someone comes to me when either they say, "Well, I, I got this from here," they just come from the clinic. I, I heard this one a lot when I was doing clinics. I I came to this. I don't. I didn't really know who you are. I'm just a drummer. I want. I like. I just come to drum clinics. I never really thought much about double bass, but you really inspired me to, to buy a double bass. That's great. 
you know, awesome. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing for someone to come to the thing and go, dude, you're my favorite drummer. We're waiting to see you for six months, blah, blah, blah. Cause that's awesome too. But it's just as awesome when you hear someone who goes, I have no idea who you are. I just came to check it out and you inspired me. And, and it's usually gentlemen that were older than me. I'm not, I'm not into that heavy metal stuff, but right. you know, what you did was, <laughs> was pretty inspiring. Awesome. I always tried to find, like, even when I was doing planks, I always would, would play, like, you know, a bunch of shad stuff, obviously, first. Play all the stuff that I'm known for. This is, I'm a metal guy, so I do best. But here's another example of what I can do. I play, like, you know, instrumental stuff or lighter stuff, or I do some jazz stuff, or whatever it was, just to, to try to show that, you know, another side. Um, the one thing I did want to talk about with, with modern drummer and the accolades and, and all that stuff, it was, it was great to get them, but what it shows is it shows that you're popular at a point in time. That's what it shows. It shows that at that point in time, you were doing something that was getting recognized. Right. It doesn't mean that I'm the best metal drummer. It doesn't mean that I no. was the best metal drummer in 2005. It doesn't mean I was the best metal drummer in 2006. All it meant was for those folks who voted for me for that position, that's what I meant to them. And so it's, and, and I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because I, I was I wanted to touch on the fact of the it's a reader's poll and and that's what makes it special because the modern drummer community is like and they used to do the festivals and and bring everybody out there and put on these big and what this letter is this is the only letter from modern drummer that I have hanging on a wall I have numerous letters from modern drummer this one is the most important one. This is the one that says, Dear Jason, on behalf of your friends and family here at Modern Drummer, we would like to present the 2006 number one metal drummer award to you, not once, but two years in a row. That's what that letter says to me. So that was a really big deal in my life. So that's why it's it's up on the wall there. That's super. That, that it's, wasn't uh, just one fluke year. It was number, it was, it was MD poll, number one up and coming drummer in 2004 number one metal drummer in 2005. And one of the nice things about that year was I was able to hand up and coming drummer number one, 2005 to Chris Adler on the same stage. And then I got 2006 number one metal drummer. I think Chris probably took 2007, but the point was I got it two years in a row, which was unheard of. And I really don't know if anybody's done two years in a row since that. Well, that really put you guys, both of you on the map, kind of in the drummer world. And Joey was extremely helpful for that because it was that Slipknot, Lamb of God, Shadows Fall Tour yep. that helped put me and Chris on the map. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah, it's, it's uh, like I said, it's, it's like being recognized by your peers, being recognized by the people that are passionate about it. And that's why it matters when you say somebody wins a reader's poll. Uh, for modern drummers. You know what's, what's funny is we talk about the trajectory of drummers too and just like, you know, there's got to be players that you looked up to, Daryl, that you went, yeah, you know, I know I got as good as that guy. I know I could have done what he did. But you know that there's players that you're like, no, he he was like, oh. like your Well, it's like when you watch Mike Mangini, you're like, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> the guys who jersey you could have wore to and been in the same spot and done probably that job okay absolutely yeah. so so justin you said before about some drummers who did this and then there was this guy and then this guy inspired that one i want to go back just to rewind because you said in the 80s it was double bass like tommy lee did a little bit blah blah, blah whatever 
we're not going to talk much about that guy at all because I have nothing good to say about him. Uh, <clears throat> very inspirational as a kid, but one of the biggest jerks I ever met in my entire life. And I have a lot of really, really, really <laughs> giant name drummers in my phone. And You've met a lot of dicks. Tommy Lee, when I was friends with Neil fucking Parrot, I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah, like, he's big time in you. I could see that. Whatever. So in the 80s, the first guy was Lars. And I'm always going to say this. I'm always going to defend Lars because he was, the first, he was the first one that brought my attention to double bass that was over 175. Sure. Battery, you know, come on. 175. When I heard Fight Fire and Fire, even though the tempo goes all through the song and all through the middle double bass section, I still was like, holy shit, dude. I... And so then the race was on. The first, yep. My first race was to try to be able to play Trapped Under Ice. That was the first one, to get all the way through that. So that's where it started for me. It was Lars. Then Dave came along. Because that's the trajectory of how I, I, I met these bands, let's say. Right. Okay? I was introduced to Metallica first. The second band I was introduced to was Slayer. Because my friend knew that I was listening to Metallica. He's like, dude, you got to hear this band Slayer. And I'm like, uh, all right. I, I really like Metallica, though. Because at that point, it was like, it was almost like listening to Thrash was like the was like an evil, almost, I don't want to use the word evil, but it was like one of those, ooh, that's yeah. a thrash band. <laughs> you like, listen to Venom? Yeah. <laughs> not Sabbath, that's a thrash band. That's one of those noisy bands. They play fast. Yeah, they fucking play fast. It's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> so so Metallica was the first band, and I thought you could, well, you can only like one of these kinds of bands. I like Iron Maiden, so Metallica's my thrash band. And my friend's like, dude, just got to listen to Slayer record. Okay. So he hands me Show No Mercy. At this point, only Show No Mercy and Hell Awaits were out, but he had, he had Show No Mercy. Rain of Blood wasn't out yet. So he hands me Show No Mercy. I go home. I listen to it. I don't like a note of it. I'm like, yes, fast, but it sounds like shit. The snare drum sounds like it's got a wallet tape to it. <laughs> so, so I totally just, like, hate it. Sidebar Slayer is my favorite thrash band ever in time. Well, when I first heard him, I hated him. When I first heard Metallica, I hated him. The, the only two out of the big four that I liked when I first heard him was Megadeth and Anthrax. So, for whatever reason. Hmm. So, I give it back to him. I'm like, I don't know, dude. I'm not really feeling it. So, like, maybe a couple weeks later, Rain and Blood comes out. He gets that. He comes to school. He's like, all right, gives me a tape. He goes, I want you to listen to the first song off this, and if you can't listen to more than one song off this and tell me this isn't as good as Metallica, then you're totally full of shit. And I'm like, all right, that's some big words. So I take it home, <laughs> put, put the tape in, and I, I hear it. And I, I already see hell opening up. Yeah. <laughs> and the moment that the fucking Tom Phil goes down, Tom screams, and Dave's feet kick in, I yep. fuck my jaw was just like, yeah, oh yeah, what? Yeah. <laughs> Metallica was now a thing of the past, right? I'm like, screw that, guys. <laughs> no, listen to this. So then, maybe about maybe about six months later, my friend turned me on to Anthrax. 
because he knew how much I liked Slayer, and he didn't like Tom singing. He's like, this band's just as good. They got a real singer, though, and the drummer's just as fast as Dave Lombardo, probably faster. And I'm like, bullshit. Listen to Skeletons in the Closet Among the Living. I'm like, you're absolutely right. He's probably faster. And this is my point I'm going to get back to. Would I feel comfortable filling in for Dave? Yeah, yeah, it's been my lifelong dream. Would I feel comfortable filling in for Charlie? Well, y'all know that I've already done that numerous times. Every time still nerve-wracking, it's my hero. I can't imagine. Would I feel <laughs> nervous filling in for Lars? Absolutely fucking not. Come on, guys, let's go. Let's play these songs. Well, that later. would be like the <laughs> ultimate... And, and, and Jason, this, this conversation is so... It's a fucking trip for me because I'm sitting here listening to this and, and for me, you know, again, I'm 31. I grew up in the era, the, the dawn of the file sharing and the beginning of YouTube. And luckily for me, I had, you know, an iPod and file sharing and, and, uh, yep. And I, it was like the same order. It was like, basically my dad was a big prog fan. I was listening to yes all the time. I grew up loving yes. And then I found, I, Metallica. I found out about them because of S and M, the the symphonic DVD that that came out, and I'm like, oh, this is fucking sick. And then like because it was like, I was looking back in time almost. In like a a fall of my sophomore year of high school, it was like Metallica that led me to Slayer, and I was like, holy shit, this is unbelievable. You know, South of Heaven, you know, Raining Blood, all that stuff. Then it was like. Slipknot because Slipknot was current, and I'm like, all right, this is fucking unbelievable. Joey Jordison. Slipknot is the band that got me back into metal, and it was Slipknot was the band that made me go, thank God, someone's playing double bass again. And like, I and and so I'm then it's like I'm going to see Yes with my dad, and it's like, who's this band Dream Theater that's opening for them? And then I see Dream Theater, and I'm like, holy shit, I can do both. I can do both things at the same fucking time. Like what? You know, and then again, fast forward years later, I know all these guys, and it's like it's a trip. But, but my point is, I'm watching this DVD, um, then which leads me back down this rabbit hole, and then I'm watching Joey Jordison playing with Metallica at Download Festival, and then I'm I'm watching you playing with Anthrax, and and I'm thinking like, it, it's there's some there's truly something going on when you have this generational sharing of music and there's something special about the music certain elements of metal i think and and there's there is sort of with pop music but it's not quite the same the way it has been for the last like 40 50 years of metal music like black sabbath is a great example of that where you have now zach sabbath playing homage to kind of that music and making it not changing it but just playing it with modern technology and i think metal is going to be like that where People are still like whether or not it's Dave Lombardo or, or whomever. Luckily, I got to see Slayer with Dave Lombardo. Still one of the craziest fucking shows I've ever seen, and um, he ripped. It was insane. But it's gonna carry on, and like the Anthrax kind of thing is gonna carry on. And whether it's like someone who knows who Shadows Fall is, um, or they just listen to a, they're a big fan of a band that came after you. You know, um, they're getting that handed down whether they want it or not and yeah. whether it's like terry and, and it's a, per, a perfect example is i'm a huge frank zappa fan so you know terry bozio is one of my 
because think about it, dude. Again, you're 15 so, years old. You're a drummer, and you get an album. My screen last week, <laughs> no, dude. I'm telling you, and it's like you see the comments come in from people who have no idea. Like, first of all, that it's even Zappa, but have no idea about that song. Like, did it just say "Screw me, you magical pig"? Oh, yeah. dude. Imagine being 15, Daryl, and then you're into shredding music and shredding drums, and then there's a song called "Titties and Beer," and you're like. Oh, and it's live at Madison Square Garden. There's a whole arena full of people that love it. <laughs> I'm fucking in, you know? Like, that changed that. Whoa. These things all connected and altered my trajectory. And it's it, it passes on. And it's like, whether or not I'm aware of it, that Bozio connection came to you and Portnoy. And then I just obsessed over Portnoy and you. And then that came out of me and onto my music. And, you know, and then, and then someone else. And then people listening to this conversation are going to go, I, maybe I, maybe they came here for an episode with Mike Mangini or Blake Richardson. They know those guys, but they don't know who you are. And then they're going to go back and they're going to look up these videos and they're going to be like, holy shit, I do that stuff. And it's like, yeah, you do that stuff because the people you listen to got it from him. You know, and it's just it's it's there's not many things in our modern culture that are like that, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I, I do think that. I think that's me that music is, is changing too i really don't i really hate to make this statement but i really don't think that you're going to see legacy bands anymore like they did no it's about it's not it's not going to happen the industry's not built for that and they they're not, not they want good. they just want to make the money and then on to the next thing and yeah. i think it's almost like all of the legacy slots are filled there's only and that's why like you see and again, these are just my musings, but that's why you see bands like Smashing Pumpkins being like, wait a minute, we got to come back together and we got to fucking nail this because we got to prove to everyone we belong as one of these arena acts. And then look what they did. They came back. They killed it for two years. They stopped with COVID and then now they're back. They're going to go out with Guns N' Roses or whatever on a stadium tour. And like there's only so many slots available for stadium bands or arena bands or theater bands and at any given time you're, you're lucky and you stay in it long enough you 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 will get a resurgence and it, it, it happens it's just it happened with anthrax they, they well they're down, back. they got a resurgence and they've gone nothing went up it happened with overkill too they hit a, a, a pit they came back thank god and we're still continuing that trajectory and it's like i said even though you know the shad reunion is just a one-time show I mean, who knows if, if something happened later on with, you know, me, me and John not being in, in the bands that we're in, maybe we, you know, re, reignite the flame for, you know, more than just the reunion show that we're doing. But it's, it's that, that's a difficult situation because you have other people who have families and they're not full-time musician guys like we, that me and John still are and Matt too, to, to a certain extent. So, you know, you got to either like for us, for this show, because we're, we all finally said we're going to do this, all we care about is this show. That's it. No one has any delusions of grandeur. Nobody's like, all right, so every, every, and, and, but it's not to say that everybody else isn't. Oh, so you guys are going to go on tour again, right? Like, no, because Overkill is going on tour in March when we put our new record out in February. And guess what? Anthrax is going on tour too because they're going to put a new record out. So when both of those bands are on tour, that's three two fifths of the band that's not there not it's not physical it's not a possibility and you know 
I'm 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 glad you I'm glad you brought up the reunion show and it's uh, coming up. I know tickets are still available. Uh, December 18th at the Palladium with Unearth and Darkest Hour. Uh, and let me just tell you, uh, once again, it's like I said to my fiance before I got on this podcast. This is like my high school musical. The concert is. Shadows Fall, Unearth, and Darkest it's pretty, Hour. It's really straight out of like 2002, 2003. Yeah, yeah like this is my shit, man. Like it's Unearth, Darkest Hour, us and Sworn Enemy in the same room. It's like, dude, what are we at? Ospect 2003 again? Yeah. yeah, it's it's really it's really cool to see. And um, it's gonna be a nice homecoming, especially when we did our last European tour with uh, Shad's did our last European tour with Unearth back in 2014. 13 or 14? 14. 14. My, so it'd be nice to, to play with those guys again. We, you know, we used to do shit about the stuff in Darkest Hour. And, and Darkest Hour, like, we, my, my band Extractus had an opportunity uh, to open for Darkest Hour on a Mayhem tour slot. And um, we were sound checking, and Travis Orban, who's just a fucking monster, monster assassin of a drummer. Yeah. Um, He's like, and he's also Daryl. He's just like so swole. It's annoying. Like, it's like this guy's figured everything out, you know. And he's like a brilliant composer as well, multi instrumentalist, just super elite dude. And he's like sitting on his drums behind me. My drums are in front of him, and he was just like sitting there eating his lunch or whatever, watching us sound check. And he was just, and he probably would never. I don't know if you even remember this, but. He watched our, our sound check, and I was I knew he was like watching over my shoulder, and I turned around and I just looked up at him and I nodded. And he went like that, and, and then he just got up and left, and I was like, Whew. you know, and, and it's like, and, and and that was just one of those those interactions where you know it. it you can you can look over and you can go like this. <laughs> yeah, it could be it could be much worse. <laughs> This 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 thing gets so much use on Twitch. I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. Is that that's is that a? <laughs> oh man, that is awesome. That is awesome. So now you, you mentioned Twitch and Daryl and I over the last year. I have a love hate relationship with Twitch. I have a love hate relationship. You're so good at it though, man. Yeah, but you're yeah you you do good at it. I I enjoy watching you kind of just navigate it what was it has it been hard for you to kind of get into this like interaction live interaction with you know the masses kind of thing and like how do you how do you enjoy it because i enjoy watching it we were watching it you know some replays just before i got on here it's 75 um, percent of the time it's fun but there's i mean the exaggerating 75 percent of the time or more it's fun but then there's just some points in time where it's just like, oh my God, I'm gonna... <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, it's, first of all, social media is, is one thing in and of itself with the comments and things and blah, 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 blah. Like one of my biggest gripes, and I was griping about it today on Twitch because I like, I, I used to say, I'm gonna call my Twitch the grumpy old fucking Twitch. And just, <laughs> just be miserable every single day. And all I do is complain. I'm never in a good mood. And people would probably eat it up. But I figured after a while, I'm like, yeah, let's not maybe do that. But maybe half the time. So 
I usually have one, someone, one of, one of my guys who watches, and I forgot who it was, someone said, uh, do Jason's Grind My Gears, which is a, a, a Family Guy reference, where Peter Peter Griffin had this on his segment on Family Guys, and what really, you know what really grinds my gears, and you just complain about shit. <laughs> so, so that's what we do every once in a while. So today I was, I was just ready to like just launch in the moment I like went live. Well, today I'm going to complain about <laughs> It's like, here's the thing. I I have, and I know social media, I should probably be a little bit more lenient with one of my pet peeves. I have no tolerance for stupidity and people who can't follow a simple direction. And I think this this comes from my mother because that this, this is the way I was brought up. And she had no tolerance for stupidity either. God rest her soul. So... When I have just sat and give a 15-minute dissertation on what the, the, the stream theme is going to be today, either, you know, everybody gets requests, only subs get requests, or, you know, tip gets requests, this, that, only this, spam, blah, blah. I've gone through this giant explanation, and I usually will put something up on the screen as well so you can read it, too, if you're paying any sort of attention. And I get through all this, and I get ready to start going to the song or something, and some jerk goes, what are you doing today? Oh my God. <laughs> Literally, there's sometimes I just want to hit the power strip, which shuts everything down and just play by myself to the iPod. No, there's no Twitch today. Big <laughs> <laughs> kill switch. And I know I shouldn't let those stupid little things bother me. It's like every day I'm repeating myself. I feel like I'm a parent on Twitch sometimes. I'm like, okay, guys. Now I asked you on Saturday if anybody wanted to request a request to go put it into the Discord page that I know that you're all signed up on because I see your comments on there. That's Saturday. That gives you three or two days to get all your requests in for the stream on Tuesday. And I get online Tuesday or whatever, and I see one person put a request in. I just go, all right, well, whatever. No one listens to me. And then as soon as I get on, then the requests start coming in. Play this song by that one. I'm going, you just had three days to give me a list. I would have been prepared. But no, you just want to scream and shout at me. So, okay. <laughs> I tell you, man. I comes out. Getting into some of these other, you know, streamers. <laughs> Yeah. It's like <laughs> I do enjoy it though. I, I respect so much the people that can sit there and behave and just be like they're super nice and some people just are they have that tolerance, you know, and that, that patience to uh do, and they're like really good at it. And I feel and Daryl and I talk about it all the time, it's like Twitch I think is the future, whether we like it or not, like not maybe not necessarily that specific platform, but this idea of you know yeah. live interacting and yeah. comment like th like it's it's only a matter of time before everybody's doing that and it's really there's so many amazing things and it's cool to see guys like yourself you know gene hoagland has a channel too yeah, you know and and it's like holy shit i'm watching gene just like rip and he's yeah. in, he's healthy. He's in great. He looks great, yeah. you know. Like, and he's having fun. And yeah, Gene was one of the guys that, that helped me get on Twitch. He was one of the guys that called me. He was like, dude, you should you should get on here and really start doing about doing this. Like, oh, all right. And well, here we are a year later. Yeah, it's it's, it's, just, it's just I felt it's been. This is this is the thing I'm going to say about Twitch. Okay, I, I I find it fun. 
it has caused me a lot of stress, especially in the, in the early days, because just some of the equipment I had wasn't up to snuff, and it's really just bothersome when you're playing, and then this is lagging, that's not working, this is not working. It's a lot of shit to figure out. Yeah, it's a lot of shit to figure out. And I finally got it all figured out. But it was a lot of trial and error. And a lot. Of, it got really upsetting. It seemed like every time I start advertising, I get all this hype going, blah, and then I get to the stream, and the stream would crash. And I'm like, every time I advertise, I fail. So then I just like, stop putting up Facebook posts. Just, just go on and do it. And now my system's great, not on when it works. But it was a lot of trial and error. And the other thing, too, is like, and I know I stream in the early, like the later morning to afternoon. It's not usually prime time for most people, but I'm fresh in the morning. In the afternoon, like the only time I want to play in the afternoon or night is when I'm on tour, when that's my job. But if I'm home playing, I want to do it in the morning fresh, get over with, I have house stuff and things to do. I'll do that afterwards so I don't blow myself out doing six loads of laundry, mowing the lawn, <laughs> and then I got to go play drums. I don't want to do it. So I like to play early. So the follow base and the subscribers, and it's not like I'm after people's money or anything like that, but, you know, I know how good some people do on Twitch, and I will be straight up honest with you, I don't even, <laughs> I make nothing on Twitch. If I make 50, like, my average is about 50 to 75 bucks a week. It's about 200 bucks a month, two to 300 bucks a month if I'm lucky. And I'm not complaining about that at all. The point is for me to be out there and play and play in front of people right. and still feel like I'm playing in front of a live audience at my house where I'm pulled up because it's a pandemic. And it keeps you so sharp too. It's yeah. been great to do that. It really has. And I've met some really, really cool people on Twitch and I have a, a lot of really, really cool friends and followers on there. But sometimes I go and I look at these drum pages and people that are, and I don't want to paint the wrong picture or say the wrong thing or have someone interpret this the wrong way, but there's real drummers and there's Twitch drummers. Oh yeah. Name the real drummers. Gene Hoagland, G from Dragon Force, Pete Weber, Blake Alex Richardson, Trivium, Blake Richardson, Matt Garska, me. That might be it that I can think of right now. It's not even like art. So there's a point. It's not even 10 people who are actually real players in the real world, right. real people, real shows, not Twitch land, but not streamer land and not. And, and when I see naming names, but if I see, a, I know who some, you're talking about. Some, no, you don't even know. You don't know. You don't know. Cause I could be talking about a few people, but if I see some girl or something who's dressed up with, <laughs> right. Whatever, no. Yeah. She's got 3 million followers and can't even fucking play a beat. I'm like, why am I even here? Right. <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you what though, here's the thing, man is I think there's two things. If I was a 15-year-old boy, I'd be watching her right. and not the old man playing metal too. No, but... But the thing is, is yeah, those are going to attract the, the mainstream non-drummer viewer that's right. that's interested casually, yeah. that's fascinated in, in drumming. You know, like like somebody who's just passionate. Like a, my fiancé has no musical inclination to play. However, she's very passionate about bands and music and she gets emotionally invested in music the way that I know musicians to. It's part of the reason why I love her so much because we share that love of music. And, you know, you have people like that who 
are fascinated by drumming and they're going to go to that. But inevitably, they're going to start looking for the next level because the thing about drumming, just like you know, guitar playing, is, is there's a clear, you're either fascinated and you want to be a groove guy or you're like me and you're like, you know what? I want to go fucking fast. And you figure out you, you can groove too, but you're like, my goal is to get fast or play this kind of crazy stuff. And in order to get that, you have to come across your stream or, you know, Blake Richardson stream or, or somebody like Gene, like, yeah, there's, you know, I, so it's like a, it's like a, it's like a stepping stone into that deeper pool. Yep. And, and once again, it's not, like I said, it's not about the monetary aspect. Of sure. It. I, I don't really care about that. Um, I'm, thankfully I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm my, my, you know, our bills are paid. Our, our neck is above water. I'm not worried about any of that. It's just, I would rather, I, I like to see people. I want to see interaction. It's not about the money. Oh, yeah. it's just, um, come to the room, come and hang. Just yep. come and hang. Just, you know, there's, you know, there's my certain group of friends that are in there all the time. My, my Twitch friends that are always commenting and I'm seeing 40 other people in the room. I'm like, someone say something like, you know, say hi, you know, just. That's the coolest yeah, thing about it is, yeah, you know, is interacting with the, with the chat. And it's like, yeah. and you start Thanks, to, man. yeah, you know, it's that, that's something special. Cause it's like, you know, I remember when it was hard to find drumming videos and there was a website called drummerworld.com and you had a page oh, yeah. on there and, and Daryl, it was like, I would sit there and I would just click on every guy's name and it was just a name on the side and you click on it, it would have a couple shitty quality embedded, you know, quick time videos and like you would read a little bio and it had their video. And like, that's where I found like so many drummers. And I, I remember having to do that to now where it's like, Holy shit, I can watch Gene Hogan practice and then talk to him for nothing. Well, that's why Jason does what he does because here's the thing. Yeah. You, you rip off seven names of real drummers. Right. And there's a shit ton of people that don't do that. Aren't real drummers. Right. But then there's the people like Jason's trying to reach the use of the world. Right. Right. The ones that are going to go through all those shitty ass people until they get to Jason and say, fuck yeah, that's what I want to do. You know what I mean? And sometimes you got to watch shitty ass quick time videos before you find the real deal. And then you're like, okay, this is what I've always wanted. You know what that's I mean? What I was so, looking for. Let me put it in perspective. Let's say that you just happen to, you're flipping along Twitch and you just happen to come across some guy who says, yeah, well, I was a, I was a, I wasn't an NFL player, but I almost made it to the NFL. And, He's up there doing his thing and telling telling someone how to how to play the game, and he's got um, you know three hundred people watching him, and he has no idea what he's talking about. You'd be sitting there going, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Dude, all the time. Dude, I do this. I do this shit right now, like coaching high school football, and like you know, some guys say, "Hey, DC, you can come over here." And I got this guy. He's a really great coach. And this, that, and the third. And I'm like, okay. And I watch, and I'm like, fucking no. The kid's gonna get hurt doing that shit. No. And then they're looking like, "Well, DC, like, no." I'm telling you, that dude doesn't know the fuck he's talking about. All right, let me show you. All right, you go out there, sitting there, and like, hey, sorry, coach, hey, monsoon of respect, but respect, but back off for a second. Get yeah. kid two like tricks. He goes out, gets a sack, tackle, force from philosophy. Like, you're welcome, and I don't even fucking coach here. But like, but that's the that's the type of thing that you're talking about, though. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. You you need those. You need you need people who are really embedded in the lifestyle of one paying into this craft of drumming music and it's not about the money 
it's still for you about exercising your craft because you know what? You would still be doing this shit anyway. Right. That's like to me. That's why the the Twitch the Twitch world is so great is because. I'll, I'll tell somebody here or some young person that says like, oh man, I really want to do my own thing. Well, there's places you can do it. Think about the thing that you would be doing anyway if you weren't getting paid and then think about how you can you can get paid by, paid by it, right? Go to Twitch and do that. Or or do it here. You know what I'm saying? Me and brothers, they talk about this shit all the time. Like, if there's somebody that's on Twitch that can fucking eat lettuce and like hundreds of thousands of people who watch them and they get paid... Yeah. You have a shot, young man, young woman. Yeah. <laughs> you do. Follow your dreams. Also shouldn't hate on that person. Do it their way doing that. It thing. is. It is. Absolutely. It's easy to fall into it. But yeah. that but the cool thing is, is you know, I've found so many cool uh like I, I talk about it all the time. This this girl farmer, this goat farmer up in Portland, <laughs> this girl, she's like twenty one and she's pouring concrete and building fucking gazebo milking, milking goats at 5 a.m and like i get up and i watch that and i'm like man i gotta i better get after it today this girl's kicking my ass you know and it's like and and just so just some of the most amazing uh stuff out there and it's again like you know seeing it come full circle and having this conversation with you and getting to connect it's like um you know i see that passion when you're talking about it in that modern drummer 2005 dvd that i have and i see it now and i see it on the twitch stream and it's and it's true like you're putting up with it because you do want to inspire and you do want to keep you know uh keep the yep. candle going and um it's it's the, awesome one of, one of the funnest parts about twitch now is because because my technology has gotten better and now i've got like all you know i've got the stream deck with all the buttons and shit. Uh, i got one of those i don't know if you, if mm-hmm. you bought the button stream but uh so there's been some times where we've just been sitting there and I'm crying. I'm laughing so hard that I can't, I can't even play a song because I'm sitting here laughing at a Lars Ulrich outtake or something. Yeah. And some I, meme somebody puts in there. Understand, <laughs> uh, yeah. I understand if someone comes on and they see me putting all these Lars pictures up there, it looks like I'm bashing Lars. I'm totally not. It's, it's for humor only. And that's why I always have these other two pictures too. I'm like, look, I love Lars. And the first picture I put up, like, Here's me on Lars's drum set in the Metallica dressing room. And then I go, here's me and Lars. I love Lars, okay? It's, it, but, He's like the first metal drummer for so many metal drummers, you know? Right. So. But you can't tell me when there are <laughs> plenty of audio and video proof of him making some of the most horrendous, terrible mistakes. This guy can't even play the beginning of Disposable Heroes on the one. And that gets sent to me, and I'm like, oh, I got to make a sound bite out of that. That's just... That's that's gold right there. It's still fucking Lars though, and he's still. <laughs> and we'll just press the button. Come on, let's listen to that again. And I'll just, I'm sitting there crying, and then everybody else is typing back smiley faces, laughing. So it just becomes when we have those moments, it's it, it it's just it's hysteria. I'll go in the house and I'll still be giggling to myself a half an hour later. My wife said. Like, you're still laughing about Twitch, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, it was, it was, it was funny. <laughs> it's true, man. That's 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 like my angel of death button, Slayer buttons. Every time something cool happens, put fucking Slayer on the screen. <laughs> Dude, it's it's amazing what you can do with. You, you every mentioned time I press the Lars button when I make a mistake and I put his face on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, the programming that you can achieve with uh, a stream deck and OBS uh, streamlabs, oh, yeah, it's it's bits yeah. insane. And I went when the pandemic hit, and I you know I was out of work for a while, and I just went 
deep into it and I was like a crazy person and I was like, Daryl, I got it all figured out. And then we would get on the stream and something would be wrong and I'd be like, fuck no, I got to adjust it. It's a two millisecond delay. Ha, ah, that's what it is, you know, and yeah, just the lighting and all this stuff. And it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's a trip, man. But I'll tell you what, I as we, as, buttons and I just saw that. I was saying on the screen earlier, I go, I just saw that Elgato just released a new stream deck. We might have to get some more Lars pictures. <laughs> yeah, I've got the 32. I don't know if it, do they have a, a bigger one now. I think so. I actually do think they're putting another one. I saw I saw an advertisement the other day. I'll tell you what. I just love the whole programmable <laughs> screen key thing. That's just that's yeah. amazing. And even like yeah. I have it set up for my uh, for audio recording. Like I have a, a page for that just for shortcuts for for edits and stuff. It's pretty sick awesome for uh yeah, for shout out to elgato but i'll yeah. tell you what jason <laughs> i have joked about um every once in a while i have my buddy nick who's a guitar player he comes over and jam and uh and he's always on he's always on the twitch usually with us in some some way shape and form every time you see the nickel head come up and if you hear i'm broken by pantera that's when he's <laughs> on i was playing <laughs> have his button for him uh but we were talking. We were talking one day, and he's like, "Dude, you should just let me come over one day and sit behind you and just press the buttons." I'm like, "Oh God, we'll never. I'll never get anything done that day." Your ass. And Lars on the screen every time I'm trying to talk to the crowd or something. <laughs> yeah, and the soundboard you can do yeah, like. You can be my, you can be my uh, Andy Richter to Mike Conan. <laughs> yeah, you got You got you. You need a a, a side guy there. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you what, man. This is this has been an awesome conversation. I got I got one last question for you here as we wind down, and, and I'm hoping we, we can have you back on in the future because I, I know we've got Absolutely. a ton to talk about. Um, is you know, in doing my my research, my recon that I always do on every guest, no matter how much I looked up to them or enjoy their drumming, uh, I'm looking through your Instagram and I see. I feel like I'm on hot ones right now. Do I you yeah, I love hot ones. I love hot ones. <laughs> First of all, you're like, I got one last question because we were just watching an episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me what, yeah. Sean Evans just entered the room a second ago. Yeah, like how long have you been picking your nose I'm and eating it? it? I'm not doing the bomb. I did it last week. It almost killed me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I see that you, you're a passionate pork roll guy. I play in a band that's from New Jersey. So that's a pork roll is a big thing. We are so passionate. The overkill camp is so passionate about pork roll. Oh my god. You know, have you know the the, the red the red packaging of just the Taylor ham? The oh yeah. Ham, okay. Our guitar player, Derek Taylor, T-A-I-L-E-R. Yep. He actually had shirts made for all of us where he had that the logo changed. To his actual name, I have a I have a Taylor pork roll fucking shirt. I saw that, and <laughs> and I real I thought you know the only way somebody customizes a Taylor Ham pork roll logo is if they are in fact a huge Taylor Ham pork roll fan. Now I have grown up, we, bo born and raised brought, in. We brought a pork roll to Europe before. Really, that's got to be a, that's probably illegal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I grew up here. He wrapped it. It was frozen out of his out of his house. Brought it frozen in like all this like I don't know some plastic wrap or something, and put it in his luggage. And it guy, we got it through to Europe. What the hell? How did that make it? I have no idea. That's amazing. Well, do dogs can't smell fake meat, I guess, right, or whatever whatever pork roll is, but. <laughs> 
Well, I know from from my 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 cousins being cops, you can only train a dog to smell one thing, one or another. They can't smell multiple. They things. probably don't have a pork roll dog. Yet. For, I don't think they got a pork roll dog. So <laughs> I tell you what, I'm a pork roll dog. My, a frozen pork roll will make it, but my like travel size lotion will. <laughs> right, make right, fuck, right. Man? Yeah, right. But I, I grew up here in you know suburbs of Philadelphia, and and pork roll is just that's it's the it's the truth. And and any of my friends that are touring musicians, they always are asking about it. They want to they want to have it. Now I do. I, I got a question for you though. Is it? Are you a thin cut guy? Or are you a thick guy? I kind of prefer it thin. Okay. I I, I go either I'll way. To be honest with you, I'm I'm I'll all over it. Way. But yeah, I'll we got either way. But I do I do like it thinner. What about you, big dog? I mean, you know me. Anything that's a dead animal, I'm consuming. So it doesn't Thick, matter. Thin, with right. scrapple, without, yeah. Dude, it could have a hoof on. I don't care. It could have hair. I'm yeah. gonna eat that shit because it's that's just what I do. We're all carnivores. You yep. guys feel me on this? Absolutely. 100. <laughs> yeah. Pork roll is a, is a, is a is a northeastern specialty, but really, it's you know. F- Philadelphia, South Jersey, New Jersey yeah. kind of. Dude, kinda I mean, thing. I was in Austin two weeks ago doing a shoot, and I saw armadillo on the side of the road, and I was like, I wonder what that fucking tastes like. Armadillo so, pork roll? Somewhere in that town, you probably could get it, too. <laughs> oh, for sure. Served up. Yep, rattlesnake. And Fuck yeah. Antelope. I had alligator last time I was in New Orleans. It was fucking great. Fucking alligator is awesome. I had gator Snake once, and it, I, I, did, I was... Before, but it was just, it was the... The breakfast special in the morning was fried alligator and waffles. I'm like, I will take that. Thank you. Give me the gator. I, yep. Yeah, I love I love the Cajun the Cajun style. Yep. Um, so so Jason, what do you have going on? What's the best way to keep up with you? You know, people who are just learning who Jason Bittner is here with us in the Cosmic Canoe. Uh, really? What's the best way to follow you and keep up with all your activities, man? Well, really, the the best. I mean, really, the best way still is Facebook. That's where I'm the most active. I'd say. I mean, I, I'm I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, but I'm just not on Twitter and Instagram every day. I'm generally on Facebook every day. If you want to catch the streams, you know, it, it Twitch is Twitch is the only place I'm streaming. I used to multi-stream it to uh, YouTube or to Facebook too. So I was trying to get some more people to go over. But as of today, I made the announcement. I'm like, that's it. You know, as as Getty Lee sung many many years ago, you don't get something for nothing. So if, if you can't if you can't take what really bothers me is that people are like, oh, I don't know what Twitch is. It's an app. You have a phone, right? It's it's the you know whatever century it is. I know you have a phone because you're on Facebook right now, which is an app, by the way. Well, oh, and everyone has an Amazon Facebook. account. All you gotta do, you don't even need an Amazon account if you want to subscribe, but to just to get on. Just download the app and hit follow. It's free. There's nothing to pay. That it's yep. totally it. And that's why I keep telling people that. And if I the more follows is the more people that will watch it. Hopefully, eventually I can double my viewers and eventually start maybe getting some sponsors. But the point is, is it's not doing me any good to keep giving it to Facebook. Even though it's not I'm not making any money anyways, I'm giving it to yeah, everyone. Yeah, they're not gonna but, help you. But at least they'll watch it where I'm where you can talk to me. Because all the time I'd go back and look at Facebook two hours after the stream. Oh, look at all these people that were on there. I had no idea they were on there. You know why? Because I'm not paying attention to the Facebook chat. Because I'm on Twitch. Right. So that's really the, you know, Twitch and Facebook. But that's it. That's awesome, Mitch. I'm on Cameo, too. Shadows Fall reunion tour coming up. The Palladium. 
Unearthed, Darkest Hour, 1218, 2021. Tickets are still available. Well, the show, the reunion show is is coming. Uh, Tickets are still available. VIP packages are still available. And uh, what's what's coming down the pike for Overkill, man? What's coming down the pike for Overkill? I'm looking at my phone, so I'll tell you the wrong date. (laughs) Yeah, the show is. No, that's not it, dummy. Um, Okay. Hello. Hello. Going to Vegas. Going to Vegas. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) (laughs) Saturday, November 13th. Am I right? Yeah, Saturday, November 13th at the Wellmont Theater in New Jersey is finally the show. Finally the show that we were supposed to play in March of 2020. Right in our backyard, Daryl. I don't know, man. We're going. I think we're going to have to show up. So, um, you know, before we get to that point, like before that, get a hold of me or get a hold of Carrie. We'll 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 work something. Awesome. Well, we I we oh, appreciate yeah, that. You. We certainly will. Um, um, so November thirteenth is the Overkill show. Um, December eighteenth, right? Yes, it's the Shadows Fall show at the Palladium in Worcester. And I might be doing something else in September yet, but I'm not sure yet, so I don't want to say anything so it's not premature. And well, as long as, knock on wood, we continue to stay the ground we're going, um, the Overkill record is slated for February when the tour beginning, I believe, March 2nd, Right around the corner. Thanks. Well. Jason, yeah. and now all that stuff will be out on your Facebook. People can can keep an eye on that. And all, all those links are going to be in the show notes if you're listening to this on the audio-only version. If you're watching it on YouTube, uh, hit subscribe. Thank you for checking it out. And, and all that stuff is going to be in the, in the notes here. Uh, Jason, this has really been, uh, in a lot of ways, kind of a dream come true and kind of crazy for me. Um, it's been an honor to have you on. It's been really cool to connect with you. And, uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun for me too. Yeah, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much. Let me, let me leave you with this one last thing before we shut down. Do I have to pull it off the wall? Yeah, I do. <laughs> That's perseverance right there. Uh, <sighs> Dave, nice. and, and just, just for everybody who's listening to the audio only version. This is a great photo because, one, you're wearing a Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence shirt. We've got Charlie <laughs> Benante and Dave Lombardo and our boy Jason Bittner just yeah. big time chilling. That's 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 us and what even makes that picture more incredible is that we're backstage in Japan. <laughs> oh. Nice. So if you ever told me when I was 15 years old worshipping these guys that one day you'd be standing there as one of their so-called peers, you know, holy shit, so... I'll tell you what, the ultimate everyman, Jason Bittner. 